This episode includes a discussion of sexual assault and rape. Please take care of yourself and only listen if these are safe topics for you. If you need to talk to someone or need further resources, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. Please listen at your discretion. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again this week starting our new unit of sad, realistic fiction, and today we're covering the perks of being a wallflower. And as we say every single week, for anybody who might be new to our show, we're a podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we are best friends, and we read and reread YA books from our childhood and adolescence and share them with each other. So right now we're doing a bit of a quicker unit. We're going to cover one book per week for the next four weeks, including this one. These are all super short books, so it's not any more reading than usual, but we just felt that it would drag it along if we divide each of these books in half. And if you like this format or you like these books, go ahead and let us know. We have ideas for similar things down the line, so your feedback would be super helpful. And Charles is going to summarize the perks of being a wallflower in a second, but I'm just going to go ahead and start us off with our intro. So The Perks of Being a Wallflower was written by Stephen Chopsky, and the book was published in 1999, and it was his first novel. And Chopsky graduated from USC's screenwriting program in 1992, which is why it actually makes sense that he actually wrote and directed the 2012 film adaptation of the book starring Logan Lerman, my celebrity crush, Emma Watson, and Ezra Miller as Charlie, Sam, and Patrick. And in an interview with LA Youth from the November to December 2001 issue, he talks about how the idea of this book started while he was in college. He was actually writing a different book where the narrator said, I guess that's just one of the perks of being a wallflower. He immediately stopped working on that book and started to explore what would eventually become Perks of Being a Wallflower. And in a different 2012 interview with ComingSoon.net to promote the coming film adaptation, he explained that he wrote Perks in the summer of 1996, and he had a third draft done by the summer of 1998, and that is what was eventually published in 99. In another 2012 interview with NPR, Chomsky discussed how he got the inspiration for the anonymous letters, which We'll get into that the story is told from basically this anonymous character who goes by the name Charlie is writing to who he only addresses as dear friend. So he got this idea basically when he went on tour to visit USC. He saw Stuart Stern who wrote the screenplay for Rebel Without a Cause and he was giving a seminar And Chopsky was so moved by the seminar that he wrote him an anonymous letter because he didn't want to think that he was trying to get like an agent or like get something from him. He just wanted to tell him how much he loved it. And it took a year and a half for Stern to figure out that it was Chopsky who wrote the letter. And after that, he ended up actually becoming his mentor. And in this interview, Chopsky also discusses how since there's a lot of dark themes explored in this book, it's been considered too controversial to be allowed in some schools, 
But despite this, it's still a book that many teens enjoy. So with that, Charles is going to go ahead us and give us a summary of the plot. Yeah, it actually has been on banned book lists, which is shockingly relevant for our 21st century, you know, early 2022 conversation. But yeah, as we were doing prep for this book, I was like, oh, it's been banned in school districts before. That's always a great sign. <laughs> and yes, I had never read Perks of Wallflower before, so this is my first time reading it. Asia's read it a couple times before. So just vaguely the plot, like Asia mentioned, is an epistolary novel, which means it's told from the perspective of a bunch of letters rather than written in like straight narrative prose. It's actually in these letters. And if you needed a smart SAT word, the word is epistolary when Asia's laughing at me, but... I didn't know that word, so I learned something new today. You're not taking the SAT anytime soon, but other people might be. Thank God. So we follow Charlie as he goes through his first year of high school. He's dealing with regular high school problems, as well as two older siblings, and the trials and tribulations that his friends are going through as well. He becomes friends with Patrick, who's gay, and Sam, who is the most beautiful girl he's ever seen, and he joins their friend group. He's also mourning the loss, um, some past losses, And he's coming of age and starting to engage in adult activities, drugs, sex, you know, all that fun stuff. And the book then ends with a revelation about Charlie's past as the school year ends and Charlie prepares for his second year. So quickly, my impression was that, so I had never read this book, but when you mention this, when you mention Perks of Being Wallfired, people are always like, so beautiful, so sad. And I was reading it the whole time, and I was like, this is less sad than I thought it was going to be. But I do agree that it was sweet and beautiful, and I really enjoyed it. I, and I was shocked of how much I saw of myself in Charlie, which I think we'll talk about down the line. But I really, really enjoyed it, though. Anyway, we'll, get, we'll keep going. I don't want to spoil too far. Okay, well, so diving into my impressions, I loved it, and I obviously knew I was going to love it because, like Charles mentioned, I've read this, I think, like a couple times, maybe twice before, and this is that book whenever someone's like, oh, like, what's your favorite book, which for anyone out there who's an avid reader, it's really hard to pick your favorite book because you've probably read, like, thousands of books, but this is usually the book I say. This is at least my favorite young adult book, probably. Just that I think it is, like Charles says, people say it's sad and beautiful. And we'll obviously get into why people think that and what we think about it. But I was very surprised, honestly, during this reread by how many signs and like red flags there are throughout the book that actually point towards the reveal that happens at the very end that I just didn't really see coming or didn't remember seeing coming when I read it like the first time as like, I don't even know when I read this for the first time, maybe like 13, 14, but I just feel like there was a lot more pointing to. So I thought it was really beneficial to actually reread this book as an adult and see flags that you might not have saw as flags as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely get into that. And just a little bit of a preface, because we're covering the whole book in one episode, we'll probably jump around a little bit and omit some things just because we don't need to talk about like holding off on reveals because obviously everything has been revealed by the end of the reading because it's the whole book. So just, you know, warning of that. 
And so we start with Charlie, who's seeing a psychiatrist because his best friend from middle school killed himself last summer. And so his parents have sent him to a psychiatrist. And that's going to continue out throughout the whole book. And right here, when he's talking about Michael, his friend who committed suicide the previous year, Charlie says here that he was best friends with his Aunt Helen, like Susan and Michael, who Susan's another friend of theirs that he used to talk to. And Susan and Michael used to kiss and talk about movies. That's how he describes it. So when upon reading this this time, I was like, that's not a good sign if you're comparing your relationship with your aunt to and a potential like first time boyfriend girlfriend relationship between your friends which obviously once we know what the ending is i just felt like that was worth mentioning and i don't know if charles like did you see that like did you see that as a red flag when you read it or was it like just me seeing it and like knowing what was going to happen at the end i didn't pick up on it of course now when you're saying that of course that makes perfect sense that that was placed there like definitely feels intentional but i just because i didn't know what i was looking for i was just like oh he's a bit of a loner and like his you know his best friend is in his family but i didn't naturally think well because yeah the like kissing it's one thing to see, applies like, <laughs> yes when he because he says he's some it's something like oh you know like susan and michael they kiss and talk about movies and he's like and like my aunt Susan or my aunt Susan, my aunt Helen is my like best friend and we do the same thing. Like, I don't know. It was just like, it wasn't clear, but like, again, when you know the ending, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a red flag. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that you mentioning that is something that you picked up now. Like that's one of the reasons that we love doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons that we started the podcast in the first place because you knew what the ending was, you could be looking for stuff like that the whole time. And, you know, why we should just say this now, because like I just said, the whole thing is going to be revealed. But the in the end, Charlie realizes that he was sexually molested by his Aunt Helen as a child, and he's blocked those memories out. And he's going to have a triggering event that is going to send him into PTSD, into a catatonic shock, as he recalls this. So... Yes, Asia, if you tracked moments that led up to that, that would be, you know, it's great to mention those because obviously I didn't know to track them. And you, if you track them, that, you know, just shows how well the book was written to prepare for that. And yes, and in addition to that, early on, we also get to notice that Charlie is clearly a very observant person. For example, he sees his dad, sees that his dad only cry like one time while he's hidden in the kitchen, basically under the premise of making a sandwich. And I also noted that this, I was like, this is to me highlighting that Charlie, from that perspective, could think that men like shouldn't display emotion in front of others, which is again, something that me reading this as a kid, like didn't pick up on like how little things like that can really affect you going forward like as you grow up to be an adult. Yeah. Another like moment of Charlie being observant is that he notices that Susan has changed since starting high school. He says that he thinks that she's acting dumber than she actually is for attention. And this was like one of the first moments where I was like, Oh, I see myself in Charlie and not just because we have the same name, but like it's obviously there. And I did not know that going in. I did not know that Logan Lerman was my, had my name, but whatever. 
But when he, I had a friend in middle school who I thought was quite bright and literally we started high school and she started acting what I would consider stupid for attention. It made me really sad because I remember watching it. It got to the place where I was like, how much, you know, acting stupid for so long eventually makes you stupid. And it felt to me like I was the only person who noticed, or at least that I was the only person who cared. And that's very much how Charlie is experiencing. Yeah. It's like, he's the only person paying attention. Yeah. And again, I felt this way about a lot of things that Charlie's going to say. So he meets Sam and Patrick, and he becomes pretty quick friends with them. And this another moment that reminded me a lot of myself, because Sam and Patrick are seniors. Sorry, they're honking outside of our apartment. Bear with us, guys. And they, it reminded me of myself, because I also always had friends that were in classes ahead of me. And we're going to graduate before me. My brother was like, my brother was a senior when I was a freshman in high school. So like literally the same, you know, age gap that he and his sister have. And so it was just like, wow, again, this character is me, but you know, also not, but anyway, (laughs) and importantly, he had develops a crush on Sam which was not me because I was very much not into women by the time I got to high school. <laughs> and he has a wet dream about Sam. And she, being such a good friend, she doesn't make him feel weird or embarrassed. And she doesn't toy with him. Like, I was like, good for you, Emma Watson. You're like a good friend. Yeah, that was like exceptionally like nice of her to like not be weirded out by it. But right? I mean, I guess you can think of, I do think that Sam and pa- Patrick are like to depicted as being like more mature like even though they're only supposed to be like 17 18 year olds seniors in high school like they do seem like mature for their age so like absolutely and they can understand that like they're kind of taking charlie under their wing and like he is younger so i think that was yeah really nice of her but they're not patronizing about it like no no which i think is really cool but a little yeah, fictitious. exactly <laughs> that yep that's why it's a book <laughs> And around this time, Charlie also starts to develop a relationship with his English teacher, Bill. And during these early conversations, some important things come up. Like, again, Charlie saying, my family doesn't hug a lot except for my Aunt Helen. And I just wrote, flagging that. (laughs) Yeah. And Bill tells Charlie that he might be thinking too much, which prevents him from participating in life which is super true. I mean, we're getting Charlie's thoughts and he is like just constantly overthinking everything. And I think that's like, that's a true statement. Like overthinking really can take you out of living in the present moment. And then finally we get one of the many famous famous quotes from this book is Charlie, we accept the love we think we deserve. And yeah, this book has a lot of iconic quotes. I would say from like, again, this movie came out in like 2012. So 2012 era is I feel like when this really blew up on, like, social media and stuff. Uh, yeah, that was really basic. It didn't... We accept the love we think we deserve. I don't know. Kind of... But it's not like just... It's just, like, such a true statement. What does like, that mean? It means nothing. What do you mean, what does it mean? It means We accept nothing. the love we think we deserve in that we accept less because we think that that's what we deserve. It's literally, like... 
I guess. Do you not do you not understand? I the understand quote? the quote. I just feel like it. It's so basic. It's so, it's so true that it means truly nothing. But, the, but there's another quote that's coming up that bothers true. me more. I just I did. It felt it felt like I feel English like this, teacher and jargon. This is the better it quote. Felt, yes, I think this is a better quote than the one that we're going to get to. This is the better quote because it, it actually means something. means something. I think it has an I actual agree. meaning. And also, I think for again, this is a young adult book for teens. Teenagers reading this, obviously, this is a revelation that they have not had yet, maybe. I guess that's true. Us as adults are like, yeah, I constantly take like, less I absolu- because... I, I absolutely do- undervalue myself and I'm grateful for what I get. So, but as like in this, yes, it's a coming of age novel, like a per- the, the demographic for this, the reader probably might not have come to that realization yet. And like, oh, so I don't know. I thought it was, you know, that's the part of the beautiful part of the book. I guess. Whatever. I, I don't hate it as much as the other thing we're going to get to. And you mentioned that, you know, we're getting these letters, we're getting Charlie's thoughts. And I wanted to commend Chabowski for the writing because I think he really gets the stream of consciousness of a teenager spot on. Like, again, there are moments where I was like, oh, this really feels like me. And it just feels like they really do feel like someone is... It feels like you're reading someone's thoughts rather than reading a bunch of fictional letters. Oh, yeah, definitely. I felt that even during the reread where I feel like I could look back and remember moments in my life where I've, like, felt the way Charlie has, especially during such an important time when you are, like, figuring out who you are and everything. So, yeah, I 100% agree. It's very, very well done. Yeah. In that aspect. Like, I imagined this book like I haven't seen the movie so I don't have any visual reference except obviously like Logan Lerman, Ezra Miller and Emma Watson Emma Watson like that's who they are in my mind but even though Emma Watson doesn't look like Sam's supposed to but that doesn't matter side point um, I visualize this happening in the two different high schools that I went to which I think is a testament to the writing that I felt transported to my own like it's been many years, six years, seven years since I left high school. Yeah, something like that. 2016. So, uh, so uh, six We graduated years. high school in 2016. Uh, and we weren't, like, really in high school in 2016 anyway. So seven like, se- until yeah. 2015. Oh uh, it's been a while since we were in high school. But, like, the fact that I was visually transported to my two high schools, like, I think that's a real testament to the writing. Yeah, I never get that opportunity since I went to school in, like, sunny California where everything's outside. So I feel like I can never, like, like in the movies when they're, like, in the hallway at the lockers. Like, that just didn't exist. So it's hard for me to <laughs> picture things happen. I mean, even in, like, there's okay, snow. Well, like, there was no mm, snow. Well, movie high schools don't look real, like, to me. Because as someone who went to, like, real high schools... Movie high schools, the hallways are always so wide and they're always so clean. And I'm like, that's not it's what not a high like school that. is like. Well, I don't know. If, I wouldn't expect it to be clean, but. But, I mean, I did have a locker. I went to like a fancy international we had lockers. private school. They were just, like, they were outside. The lockers were outside. Everything was outside. Yeah, that sounds Sunny. horrible. You're going to get 7. sunburned. That sounds absolutely awful. There's trees. Shade. Well, I went to a very famous high school. Um. If you've ever seen no Remember the cares. Titans, it's about my high school. That's the one I graduated from. No one from. cares. 
Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about some things that I did not do during high school that Charlie does. He starts partying like crazy because he's with the seniors. Like, yeah, he starts drinking hefty alcohol. Anyway, we'll get there. And drugs. Yeah, we're going to get there. (laughs) So at one party, he finds out that Patrick is gay and Patrick is secretly dating the football quarterback, Brad, who is not publicly out. And that's causing some tension in their relationship. And this is actually when Patrick tells Charlie for the first time that he's a wallflower. Also, Charlie is accidentally high on a pot brownie. Yes. And this triggers... I said that weird. And this... You did. <laughs> yes. You keep it in. Keep it in. And keep this in. triggers <laughs> the following memory, which I flagged given, again, the ending of the book, which Charlie basically witnessed a boy raping a girl at a house party his brother threw when he was around 10 or 11. And basically to set the scene, he was like sitting in the room where they were keeping all like the coats and stuff. And this couple comes in, they want to have sex. The girl starts crying during the middle of it. And the guy's just like, let's keep going. And she just kind of keeps doing it, even though she's saying no crying. So again, rape very clearly. And Charlie is sitting in there this entire time just witnessing this. And the couple, they did see him there. And the guy was like, it's fine. Because, you know, rapist. Terrible person. Anyway, so that's what happens. And his older sister ends up walking in on them. And the couple obviously, like, leaves embarrassed. And she's like, did you know they were in here? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, why were you watching them? And, like, says he's a pervert for watching even though Charlie says that he did know what they were doing. I mean, he's 10 or 11. Like, you might, at that age, you probably don't even know what sex is. And if, and whatever idea of sex you have is probably not correct. So because he didn't fully understand what was necessarily happening, and even though he felt like something was wrong, because there were no consequences to what happened, he could think that, like, what that girl went through, rape, was okay as a kid. And even though she was saying no, the boy convinced her to keep going. And for him to witness that as like at such a young age, like that could completely destroy any concept he had of consent and how he thinks like sex works. And that makes him a very easy target for abuse, which again, like we said, he was molested. So it's just like he, I think, has a very like skewed view. Like he doesn't know like how sex like healthy sex should be also on top of that he because he doesn't his sister calls him a perv and like is like you didn't you know you didn't say anything blah blah blah. like he doesn't he's not taught that he needs to talk about it or that he can like vocalize what he saw like he hasn't told anyone this story and even though i think now that i'm thinking back because i'm pretty sure the the molesting happened when he was younger than this, like six, seven, because Aunt Helen is also dead. Did we say that Aunt Helen's dead? Yeah, anyway, I don't know if we said it. She, she passed dead. away. So she's dead and she died on like Charlie's like seventh birthday, I believe. So this is post that. Yes. So this is on top of that. But like what Charles just said about even he feels like he can't talk about it because maybe he's a pervert for what happened. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he doesn't, again, he doesn't have the vocabulary or agency to talk about sexual activity because he's a child. 
Yeah. And this would that this would further mess up with his understanding of that. That's more of what I mean. Yes. Very awful. But anyway, this does end up leading to them. <laughs> this is like a terrible transition. Sorry, I feel like I feel like our segues in this episode are going to be really hard. We're going from talking about deep things to now we're like, about to go. Charles is about to like rag on this terrible quote that he doesn't like. But anyway, off of that awful topic of a rape and molestation, on to after they leave the party and after he has his pop brownie, this is when we get to the I feel infinite scene, which basically is what happens is they're driving. They have a fun time. They're driving in the truck and Sam gets in the back of the truck and like is standing up and they go through this tunnel and it's this magical tunnel where like they drive through and you come out, you can like see all the city lights and Charlie like says downtown Pittsburgh and like they have this really cool song playing and he's like, I feel infinite or he says, I feel infinite, I think earlier in the night. And then during that, he's like, and in that moment, I swear we were infinite, which if anybody out there has read this book, saw the movie like 2012, this was like Tumblr times, like the infinity symbol with, and in that moment, I swear we were infinite. Like, I swear to God, I'm sure there's a plenty of people out there who have this tattooed somewhere on their body. Like, this is the most iconic quote of the book slash movie. Like, I know, I know it thing. is, but I hate it. And I will say that if you're going to say that one is, meaningless this one i guess it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean anything i think it's more like just to i mean it's a little quirky thing to say i feel infinite but i think it's kind of just the idea of for charlie he's participating in life he's living in the present moment because think when you think about it the present moment is actually infinite because you're never in the past you're never in the future you're always in the present. So I feel like in that moment, he felt actually I'm living my life. I'm not sitting back and watching. I'm in it. I am infinite. There we go. I just explained it. Now it has some You meaning. did give it some meaning. That was nice. I gave it some meaning right there. So for any of you out there who have the tattoo, that's I what mean, you tell people when they're like, I'm what is that? I'm not ragging on it. <laughs> I'm not ragging on someone getting it tattooed on their body because that's totally up to you. Of course, I would not feel sentimental about it because I didn't read this when I was a child. So reading this as an adult, I'm like, those three words mean nothing together. <laughs> also, like, I'm yeah, much I mean, more of a- I would have never gotten the tattoo, but I definitely wanted, like, a phone case with it on there. I just couldn't find one I liked, but I definitely wanted one. I'm much more of a pessimist. Well, I'm much more of a realist. So I'd be like, the way Asia just described this was really pe- beautiful and poetic about the present moment being infinite. I'd be like, the present moment moment is finite because it finishes. And then we move on to the next present moment, which is... No. Yes. That's how the I can view it. The present moment doesn't end. When does the present right moment now. end? Never. You're constantly no, in the present. No, that's in the like, past When now. you think of the concept that's in the of past time... Now. That's in the past now. See? No. Yeah, I... Right now, what we're talking, we are constantly in the present. Me moment. saying no is in that's, the past. I, I'd say that's a pretty good way of saying. No, it. I'm saying that's perfectly valid. But I'm saying that I personally, the way I think about time, I think of it immediately going into the past, and therefore I would think of it as finite. Though I, but agree- you're never in the past. You, as a conscious being, are never in the past. But as soon as I've had that thought, it's moved into the past. No, because yes. you're you're moving on to the next thing, and you're with the present thoughts. You don't yes, continue but- with the past thoughts. Anyway, that whole conversation just reminded me of, I'm pretty sure I read this book after I saw the movie. I saw the movie 
in 2012 when it came out, I re- I still remember I was out with friends and we were going to see Pitch Perfect. And for whatever reason, we were like, let's see Perks of Being a Wallflower instead. So, you know, I was looking forward to seeing this freaking acapella, hilarious movie to we're crying in the theater, watching, I don't know, kids talk about being infinite. And I'm like, what is this movie? It's so good. And then I think I read the book. Excuse you. I read this book in high school then. Because that would have been my freshman year of high school when it came out. Like, I think it came out in fall of 2012. Yes, it would have been our freshman year. So I would have just started high school. So I literally was Charlie. So, yep, makes sense why I, I like excuse it. Excuse you. I was the the specific demographic they were looking <laughs> you for. You were like, we're going to hook them with the movie and then they'll read the book. Anyway, I want to move back to Bill. This is another one where I felt a little like Charlie. In that, like, also, you can still find memes about gay kids and their English teacher, and are <laughs> that you know they're hysterical and funny and completely relatable to me. But Bill is giving Charlie extra books to read, which I my I had an incredible English teacher my sophomore year of call high school and my senior year of high school, two different English teachers, and they would give me extra books to read. But I did, was never expected to write extra papers for them, and I wasn't given secret grades. The fact that he gets grades on the papers that are not reported, and he just gets an A that's on his report card, I was like, oh my god, this is so problematic. This teacher is grooming Charlie. He's a creep. He's going to molest Charlie. Like, this is what, like how I was reading this book. I was like, this is so problematic. Like, the whole secret grades thing, I was like, no, 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 no. Shut it off. Shut it off. Horrible. I mean, yeah, I could definitely, I obviously didn't note that because, again, I've read it, so I knew it was happening. But yeah, I mean, definitely, like. As a first-time reader. I would reader. say the main thing where he, like, crossed the line was how when, at the end, Charlie goes over to his house. I thought that was a little weird. But, like, I see Bill is kind of, like, serving as, like, a second, like, father figure, I guess. And, like, inspirational figure for Charlie does talk about he wants to be a writer and he loves reading. English is his favorite subject. So it makes sense why he's made this connection with this teacher. But it is weird when you're, like, Charlie's, like, a 15-year-old boy and Bill's a full adult. And he's, like, he's developing their relationship. And, yes, it definitely could have been a way to see if... It, it was very much on the line of, like, being grooming. Like, I totally see that. But this is also something, again, as a as a child reading this, I definitely wouldn't have necessarily seen as much of an issue with it. But now, obviously, you know the signs of grooming and stuff. Like, yeah, and, I do totally understand that. I mean, again, we'll talk about it when we get there. But, like, again, I'm really thinking about my teacher my senior year of high school. Again, like, this, I visualized his classroom. And he gave, I have books on my bookcase right now that he gave me, like, he gave me poetry anthologies, but again, I wasn't asked to do extra work on them. And like, he would come see my dance performances, but it was very much out in the open that like, he was developing like a friendship with me, like, whereas Charlie, like, like, so it didn't feel creepy. I'd say that at least like, it seems like all their meetings and stuff were like at school. Like it was just like during lunch or something. And the only reason why I feel like, I mean, this is all something obviously like, I feel like now, you know, now in 2022, people are more way more aware of like inappropriate relationships between student and teacher, whereas it is like a line. Whereas I think for for 
how Bill is portrayed in this book. I think he saw that Charlie, you know, is this wallflower character, doesn't have any friends at school to begin with, especially he has no friends his own age. All his friends are seniors in high school, and he's clearly, like, struggling socially, and I'm sure the teachers were made aware that his best friend committed suicide, so I think it's kind of like teachers trying to put in the extra, him trying to put in extra work to make sure that Charlie's okay, and, like, them developing that, like, so that's why, especially since all their conversations had to do with school, like, about books and stuff, and yes, he had him do the papers, that could be just that, you know, he wanted Charlie to become a better writer because he sees potential in him. You know, it's definitely like it's a very thin line. Yeah. But again, it's hard because like obviously me when I read it, like I was very biased because I knew it was going to happen. So I knew like nothing that wasn't the person who was going to cross the line. So I wasn't even thinking of it like that. Like I wasn't flagging anything. But yeah, for me, like I said, which we'll talk about the end to me, the only thing that was like really like wrong per se was that he went to his house but at least at least for that like he did it with his girlfriend so like there was another person there but still two like grown adults and a 15 year old or 16 i guess at the time but still like we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it because i have thoughts but yes yeah yes so back on track back to the outline (laughs) because you know get on our little tangents after one of these bill conversations charlie writes in one of the letters that his Aunt Helen was molested by a close family friend. And we know that, unfortunately, the abused can become abusers. And again, you know, obviously this figures into the ending. And we also find out that Charlie blames himself for Helen's death because basically we learn that Aunt Helen always bought Charlie two birthday gifts on his birthday. She's the only one who would buy him two gifts. Everyone else would just give him one. And... On his birthday, which his birthday is Christmas Eve, it's December 24th, she was going out to buy him a second birthday present when she got in a bad car accident. It was snowing, and she died. And again, this is during this, like, writing and stuff, I think it was, I I really enjoy how the book is written because I feel like we're just getting Charlie's raw emotions in the moment, like, right on the page. But, like, how did you feel about that, Charles? I mean, it is raw. It does make it kind of feel like it is for kids. And I think it's because it's coming from a kid's emotions. So it's geared towards them, which is fine because that's what we read on this podcast. And that's what the book is. Yeah. And I think that like if I was reading this for the first time, like I would be really excited by this. Like I would feel really like if I was reading this in high school, I'd have been really connected to the book which I think is really cool. Like, I think that's really, I think, I mean, clearly we both love to read. And I think I would have really liked reading a book like this in high school because I would have felt cool with the book, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, okay. You mentioned raw emotions. One of the things Charlie keeps saying is things he wants to do when he grows up. And like I told you guys at the beginning of the episode, when you set, tell people you're reading Parks Being a Wallflower, because this happened to me, I was talking to my colleagues at work, and they're like, what are you guys reading on the show right now? And I was like, we're doing Parks Being a Wallflower. And everyone's like, oh my god, that's so cute and so sad. And again, this is all anyone ever talks about. And I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, I'm 
And then as soon as Charlie keeps saying, oh, these are things I want to do when I get older. These are things I want to say to my children when I have them. I'm like, oh, my God, Charlie's going to die. Like, and like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm like, there's going to be something bad happening. It's going to be heartbreaking. And right now it feels like Charlie's going to die because he's not, he's never going to get to grow old. And as if I needed further proof, he starts smoking. And I'm like, I swear to God, if this kid dies of lung cancer, I'm going to, I'm going to be out. I'm going to be out. Especially because I know the next book we're reading is about cancer. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, Charlie does not die at the end of the book, but I definitely want to talk about, we can save it to like the end for like final impressions of, again, why I feel like this is sad and beautiful because I think that's a great description and I, I want to go in depth of why. I think that is a good description of it, even though, yeah, no one, Charlie I'm, doesn't I'm die. Po- the shoe doesn't drop. I'm a poet. The shoe does not drop. Well, anyway, yes, he really did go zero to 100, Charlie, because he went from, he did do LSD at a party, but <laughs> now he says he's smoking like up to 10 cigarettes a day. So that's extreme. Um, so yeah, maybe he will be getting lung cancer. That is what could kill him. And then Charlie also somehow gets trapped into an awful relationship with Mary Elizabeth, which is one of the other like friends who's a part of Sam and Patrick's friend group. And basically, she asked him to the Sadie Hawkins dance, which, you know, is the one where girls ask guys. I never had this at my school. Or I guess we did winter formal was girls ask guys. We didn't have a Sadie Hawkins dance. Yeah, winter formal was girls ask guys. But it wasn't called Sadie Hawkins. But I feel like in all the movies and stuff, that's what it's called. Absolutely. And Wow. On opposite coasts, our winter formal is we're the same. Wow, magic. And Not that I Charlie would. being the nice, sweet boy he is, he feels like he can't be honest with Mary Elizabeth because as we've established from the beginning, he has a huge crush on Sam. She's like the love of his life. And he likes Mary Elizabeth, but like Mary Elizabeth is like talks a lot and they don't really agree on much. Like it really doesn't make sense like why they would be together. But Charlie's just basically nice to her and she thinks that that means he's interested in her. So they end up in this relationship and Charlie is just slowly building up like anger because he doesn't know how to be honest with her and tell her his true feelings because he doesn't want to be anything. Yeah. Cause he doesn't want to hurt her. Yeah. We actually haven't spoken a lot about Charlie's friends. I don't know why, but you know, he, he does when he tells Sam that he's interested in her, she friend zones him, but in a super mature, you know, Emma Watson kind of way. And she does kiss him at a party because much like every other character in this book, Sam's first experience with sex was unconsensual. It was a, like a work colleague or friend of her dad's. Yeah. So completely not appropriate assault. And so she wants his first kiss to be positive, and that was she's like that way you'll like kind of be free to like try other things, which is absolutely true. That like once you you know started acting in a physical physically adult way, it becomes easier to act in physically adult ways, and it's really kind of her. Again, this is where the book is a little like very fictitious that this like eighteen year old girl has like such wisdom that she's like I'm going to kiss the boy who has a crush on me. But do it in such a delicate way that he's not going to, that, like, 
I'm not going to be leading him on, but I'm going to be setting him free for his own sexual agency. Which, again, she does it really well, but I was like, wow, this is, like, not real life. Yes, which this ends up kind of biting Charlie in the butt at the at another party when he <laughs> ends up kissing Sam, like, as a part of Truth or Dare, because the dare was to kiss the prettiest girl in the room. So he walks across the room to, and kisses Sam when Mary Elizabeth, his girlfriend, is sitting right next to him. So obviously, that's not good. Well, you know, he gets out of the relationship and he didn't know how. So, you know, he did Yeah, it. I always find that part so funny. I was like ready for it to come and it's so funny. I know. He's like, it got real. It started badly when I got up because I was sitting next to her. So I didn't because need to Mary get up. Because Mary was sitting right next to me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is really funny. <laughs> And, again, things we've been skipping out on. We've barely talked about Charlie's family. His sister, she has had a secret boyfriend. She has been impregnated by her secret boyfriend. Which we should also go back. The secret boyfriend of hers, he's a secret because... He beat her. Basically, he hit her, and Charlie ended up telling it to Bill, which Bill told the parents, and the parents are always like, you can't see him anymore, he hit you. Yes. But she still continues to see him, and Charlie's sister, I'm blanking on her name, Sarah? I just forgot her name, too. I wrote it down at the end of the episode, because I wrote it down when I walked, when they go to college, but, like, truly for the half of the book, I was like, the sister and the brother, I don't know what either of their names are. Um, Wait, let me see. I don't think, yeah, I don't remember. I mean, it's just his sister, right? (laughs) Yeah, but... She asks Charlie to go with her. So Charlie ends up taking her to the clinic. And this, again, just goes to add into what you've been talking about, that Charlie becomes more than anything. He becomes a receptacle for other people's trauma. And this is super characteristic behavior for someone who is blocking out or suppressing their own trauma and their own things that they're dealing with. So... Charlie accepting everyone, what everyone else is going through and not vocalizing it, not having an outlet for it, again, just really feeds into this narrative that Chabowski's building of what Charlie's actually experiencing. Again, so, like, just, I want to flag it because it, it goes into good writing. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, yeah, Charlie literally goes to the clinic with his sister to get, for her to get the abortion. Yeah. And is like the only one who knows about it. Yeah. Again, here's a really bad transition, but let's go from the abortion to Charles Charlie kissing Sam. This is yeah. Oof. It's a uh, lot more plot to cover. It's hard. Yeah, we're just blazing. <laughs> and so after he kisses Sam, he's isolated from his friends. And again, you know me. I'm like I'm waiting for this kid to die. I'm waiting for this kid to die. He's isolated. He has no friends. He has all these secrets. And I was like, he's isolated. This is a bad sign. He's going to, I was like, he could go down a suicide route. He could go down like a stupid mindless accident route. Like I was truly, when when he starts talking about the chapters when he can't see his friends, I'm like, this is when it's going to happen. And then the rest of the book is everyone going to be dealing with the aftermath. Well, I, but I will say, 
from what I remember in the movie, it is a lot more dramatic, obviously, because we're getting to experience it real time. Whereas when we're reading in the book, we're reading the letter. So it's all aftermath. So he's talking about, I feel sad because I haven't seen them. And then boom, all the way he's seen him. Whereas in the movie, like when we watch the movie, you'll be able to see like, you're going to see how he's feeling and it's not good. And it is, I think, a lot more it's a lot scarier to watch because like, again, I saw the movie first, but yeah, yeah, there's definitely kind of like, I mean, he talks on the letters of like, he feels like it's getting bad again and you know, his depression's coming back and stuff like that. But I think they kind of come back into his life like right at the right moment. Yeah. And they come back in because Brad's dad finds out about Brad and Patrick which causes a fight between Brad and Patrick. And Charlie backs up Patrick, goes ballistic, you know, taekwondo black belt. And as he says, if you do that again, I'll blind you. I was like, dang, Charlie. I always think it's like a little bit of a funny detail that like. Charlie's violent. Charlie says about his older brother, like taught him how to fight. So like he like can really like kick people's butts and like literally probably kill someone yeah I so he's this poor sweet boy who's dealt with all this trauma but he can also like murder you with his bare hands so it's just like a very interesting character (laughs) he's a complex character and it you know it brings charlie back together with his friends yeah and so now we were worried about charlie being isolated but now patrick is isolated because obviously Basically, like, what happens with Brad and Patrick is, like, yeah, Brad's dad finds out and, like, he beats, like, Brad senselessly. And then, like, after that, Brad doesn't talk to Patrick at all. So, obviously, Patrick is, like, suffering. He was in love with this boy who witnessed get beat up for just being who he is. And now his this love of his life or first love won't even, like, look at him, won't have a conversation with him. Because he's ashamed. Calls him the F word. Calls him the F word because he's ashamed of obviously like obviously what happened and everything. So obviously that's a lot. So now Patrick is feeling isolated like Charlie was. And Charlie is kind of serving as his only friend during this time. And most notably, Charlie actually lets Patrick kiss him multiple times. And he says he doesn't know why he's letting this happen, but I think it's because Charlie, again, doesn't really understand consent or just the idea that he can say no to kissing Patrick and still be a good friend and still support him through this hard time. Yeah. But, like, I feel like he doesn't understand that. And I think at this point, too, he's just worried about doing anything wrong and losing his friends again, like, obviously, he just messed up with Mary Elizabeth, and, like we said, he was going into, like, a very dark place without his friends, so he's, at this point, maybe willing to do anything to keep them around, so he's just letting Patrick do whatever he wants, and he even writes in the letter that, you know, I just let him, because that's what friends are for, which, again, I just go, things goes back to, like, Charlie doesn't have he can't like speak up for himself and like doesn't know like when to like stand up for himself and like know when it's like no yeah. like you can say no to that and still he like can't self-advocate a good friend. yes self-advocate like i feel like he has no self-advocacy like he can't 
he, because of his, like, I think he has mixed concepts on, like, what consent is, what's okay, can yeah. you say no to things? And I think that also part of it is that, like, he's blocking out this trauma of what happened with his aunt. So he's remembering all of the good parts of his aunt mm-hmm. and how she was super in tune with him emotionally and how she was, like, super supportive of him, but then also... She like, completely took that away from him, the idea Exactly. And so I think no. that for him... He might be like, you know, there's this physical aspect, but also this emotional support and the physical aspect maybe that I don't want, but the emotional support that I do want. And he wants to provide that for Patrick. So, yeah, but like we've been saying, basically, Charlie doesn't have the vocabulary to discuss this with the nuance and sensitivity because he doesn't he doesn't know how he would approach it to Patrick to say, hey, I don't think you should be kissing me. But I don't want that to change our friendship. And if he had the vocabulary, like, he could have that conversation. But he doesn't because he's Mm -hmm. 14. 15. And this section of the book was probably... He's 16 now. he's 16. Right, because he got held back here. For me, this is the part of the book that was the most personally gut-wrenching. When Patrick and Charlie are kind of... Charlie's just kind of following Patrick around and Patrick is going to look for support and companionship wherever he can find it, including just anonymously in a park that's known for where a bunch of gay men might congregate and sort of no strings attached, no questions asked, you know, be physical comforts to each other. And this was the part of the book that like really touched me because I've probably expressed this on the podcast, but I haven't probably already figured it out that I'm gay. No, I'm sure we've talked about this before on the podcast. But I, and I was super, super, super fortunate growing up in the aughts and early 2010s that like my parents made me feel completely supported and loved. And like, I knew that that wasn't going to be a factor in how I was treated at home. And Yes, this book was written in the 90s, but that's still the case for plenty of people in the country and around the world that they don't feel that way and that they do have to put themselves into dangerous and scary spots. And it just, this part was, I know people who've gone through things like this. I have friends who've gone through things like this. And like, this was really, really touching and heartbreaking for me because I was like, it, again, it was just it's super personal that I know people who've had to go through that. And, like, this was super gut-wrenching for me to read it because I, it just made me incredibly grateful that I had an upbringing support system, childhood, that, like, shielded me from this and made me safe from something like that because, you know, Patrick didn't have that. And this was, yeah, I was... Take a knife to my heart. Okay, I need to stop talking. Like we said, sad but beautiful. Perfect description. Yeah. Yeah, we have to move on because I am... Emotional? Yeah. It's a moving book. Even the way, like, Sam Pat Sam. Patrick. Patrick talks about, like, it's going to be better when he gets to college. Like, so many of my friends who are queer feel like they could not express themselves and could not act on their feelings until they got to college, until, until they, they were free. Like, yeah. again, I'm so lucky that, like, I didn't feel that way growing up. But, like, it was really heartbreaking 
because I'm like, that's still the case in 2020, 2022, wherever we are. COVID yeah, for some people. For some people that they really feel like they cannot like be themselves until they're not living with their parents or living like in their hometown even. You know, Patrick yeah. doesn't have that problem. But like, he's like, I'm not going to be able to be around like who I want to be fully until I'm away from everything. And that's like heartbreaking. So we're going to skip, skip ahead to graduation and go to college. Uh, so it's the end of the year. Uh, there we go. I got my transitions back. So Bill invites Charlie over. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, Bill and his girlfriend, one, his girlfriend could be fake. This could be, like, again, sexual molestation. Bill could have a boyfriend. Bill could be alone. She was there. She the was there. was there. But they could be in on it. Um... But it really is just that Bill sees this in Charlie and wants to cultivate it, which I think is great. I just think, like, maybe a letter to the parents would have been great. Like, hey, guys, <laughs> your son is super gifted, and I know his best friend committed suicide last year. He's really good at English. Do you mind if I, like, additionally tutor him? Because I think that this would be really something that he could benefit from yeah i know but technically that could have happened and we didn't know because charlie wouldn't know about something like that and this is all told from his perspective like he's telling us about what happened that's true my senior year english teacher actually both my sing my english and economics teacher they used to come see my dance performances like you can be and i'm still good friends with my first grade teacher like she visited us when we were living in europe like she's a very, she saw me on my COVID graduation day. Like, very good personal friend. Like, you can be friends with your teachers after the school year. Or, again, I just think that, like, it was a little less properly done, or at least from what we got from Charlie. I was like, ooh, this isn't really appropriate. But anyway, it ends up being fine, and Bill was just a good guy. <laughs> Sam and Craig, Sam's boyfriend, break up. And Charlie, in his adorable tenderness, he only cares that Sam got hurt, which I was like, oh, you're so cute. And yeah, I will just admit, Bill was not grooming Charlie after all, but I would like to say that I was right that to be cautious. Yes. And on another note, Charlie also, I don't really remember when he says this, but it's totally random, but I wrote this down super too. cute moment. Is that Charlie thinks that on your birthday, you know, you obviously get all your presents, but that you should give one gift to your mom. And in what he quoted, he said, since she was there too. Like, what? So cute, though. Like, oh, you know, you get all your presents on your birthday and then you just give one to your mom because, you know, she was there too. I thought that was adorable. Also, I really liked, like, I think when he comes back from the new year or, like, Easter break, he talks about, like, everyone moving along. He's like, Dad got a raise, blah, blah, blah. Mom didn't get a raise because she doesn't get paid for household labor. And I was like, dang, we were were progressive (laughs) in the 90s. Like, good for you, Charlie. Again, super observant. Super observant, yeah. But, like, good for him for recognizing household labor as labor. So, anyway, then after this, after all those notes, we get to our climax when Sam and Charlie are having a hard heart, and this is the night before Sam is leaving for college because, you know, in all dramatic, like, movies like this, I feel like the one of the main characters is, like, leaving for college, like, super early, so she's leaving for school, like, the week after um, graduation. Vanessa in... High School Musical? And Vanessa <laughs> You mean Gabriella? Her name is Gabriella, I <laughs> you know. You said Vanessa, and I was like, Gossip but, like, Girl? What are you talking about? I don't know who Vanessa is. 
I was thinking of Gossip Girl too. But, but yes, um, specifically, Vanessa Hudgens' I, I character in High School Musical three. High School Musical Gabriella going to Stanford, I think it is, or something. For like fun, like I mean, that made no sense. I mean, that movie really, that movie, like the producers had not gone to college because they got college. Well, all that's wrong. because they know that their demographic is twelve year old girls who don't even know what college is, so they have no idea. Do you but, remember in that movie when the Juilliard scouts show up to like? Where are they? Albuquerque, oh. New Mexico, to look for Troy Bolton. Yeah, and like his like, understudies on, him. and they're like, "That's not Troy Bolton." And then he like swings onto the set halfway through, and they're like, "That's Troy, Troy Bolton. Bolton." And I'm like, <laughs> "Juilliard doesn't have scouts that like go to high school musicals." Like that's so. I don't know. I was just like, they really. Didn't I wish know we could do an episode on High School Musical. Too bad it's not a book. I mean, there are High School Musical books out there, but I don't think it'll be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the outline. We're getting to the climax. And Sam is about to leave for college, and Sam and Charlie are basically having a heart-to-heart, and Sam says Charlie has to ask for what he wants. He has to advocate for himself, which, as we've identified, he doesn't. He hasn't been able to do that, has, doesn't have that capability, and that he needs to step in and vocalize, which is completely true. Because, like we said, the whole book, he that's basically, I mean, what he's growing into learning, self-advocacy. And so she's basically like, what do you want from me, from us, from life, all the things. And he, he's like, I don't know. And she's like, do you want to touch me? And then she, he's like, yes. <laughs> and they move towards being physical. But Charlie cuts it off as they're about to move towards intimacy. You missed the best line. When Charlie says, I don't want to be someone's crush. Sam says. Sam says that to Charlie, which is quite, again, Sam, super way ahead of her years. She's quite astute. And she's like, Charlie, I don't want to be someone's crush. Because, yes, what basically the non-advocacy, sort of the quiet partner in a relationship, the way Charlie's currently understanding it isn't a partnership. It's just someone who is passively there. And, like, Charlie thinks that he's being supportive and being a good partner by not vocalizing and by not having opinions. But, like, that's not a partnership. That's a puppy. (laughs) And she kind of tells him that. Like, if he wants to be with someone eventually, like, he's allowed to have feelings. They don't even always have to agree. But, like, he has to say his feelings. Because a crush is, like, a one-sided relationship, and that's kind of what a relationship where one partner doesn't talk is. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Sam, spitting truth. Spitting truths. Again, the more we talk through this episode, I'm like, wow, Sam was, like, 40. (laughs) Sam was a solid 30. Sam was a solid 29-year-old, and, like, she, Emma Watson just crushing these, like, life lessons. Anyway, they move towards being physical, and Charlie cuts it off and starts to go into shock because of our big reveal, which we've already revealed. Which is, yes, that Charlie was molested by his Aunt Helen, and basically this, like, when Sam tries to touch him, he finally, like, he feels immediately uncomfortable. And he can't identify, like, why he feels uncomfortable, and he eventually remembers that, and he writes in the letter that Aunt Helen touched him like how Sam was trying to touch him. And I just, like, my the big thing that I wanted to know while reading this book was, Charles, did you see that coming? Because I know for me, I didn't see it. I mean, I still remember when I watched the movie, again, 
what is this, 14-year-old me. In the movie, it's very, like, again, I mean, I, I don't know. The last time I watched the movie, they never say it. I'm pretty sure they never say it. Like, they never say the word molesting. Like, they never say that. They never say abuse. Like, it's very subtle. So. I mean, it is in the book, too. I just feel. Like. It's pretty. Like I had yeah, to read it twice. I was too, like. Because it doesn't say it. It never says molestation. Well, it says that Aunt Helen was molested. Or. Yes. I'm pretty sure it says molested for that. But Charlie never says that he was molested by Aunt Helen. That's not said. So in the movie, it is also like that. But obviously, it's even more ambiguous because you don't even get words on the page. You're just watching it happen. And I know for me, like, I definitely did not understand when I watched the movie. And then when I read the book, I, I'm pretty sure, like, obviously, like, you could put two and two together. But, like, I just wanted to know, like, leading up to this point, did you at all think that that was a possibility? No. I, no. I, I didn't. That had not crossed my mind. I mean, it makes perfect sense now. And we've talked ad nauseum about how it's built up in the book. So it's completely, like, it wasn't, it didn't feel like out of thin air to me. Like it was, it was totally believable when I read it, but it wasn't like when I got to it, I, that's, it, that wasn't my theory. Again, my theory was Charlie is going to die of lung cancer any moment. <laughs> so when it happened, were you just, well, I mean, when you read it, like when the scene with Sam happened, were you just shocked? Yeah. I was like, what's going on? Like, is, I was like, has he not had an orgasm yet? Because I'm pretty sure he has because he's been talking about masturbation this whole book. And, like, you know, your first time orgasming might be, like, scary, but, like, it's not that scary. I, I was like, I was like, I, I, would, I did not get that it was catatonic shock until he's, like. He explained that. Well, because yeah. also then after that happens, then the next letter is, like, months later when he's, like, I'm in the hospital. or so, It's, like, a couple weeks yeah. later, something like that. Yes. Or it's something like that. Like, it's a while. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll say the mu- the music in the movie also, like, it's a tearjerker for sure. Like, the music's so good. Well. Like, that scene is a lot. We'll see if I end up actually crying, but. Do you want to talk about final thoughts? Yes. Final thoughts. So, like we said. Do you want me to go first or you first? I can go for a little bit, I guess, and then, like, respond to you. Okay. But for me, so, yeah, obviously, like, I enjoyed it, and I think that the big reveal, like, obviously, I knew it was coming, so it was really nice to, like, read it and just, again, be able to mark, like, what the signs were with the foreshadowing and everything. And I do think that, like, throughout the book, you could see how we talked about Charlie could never advocate for himself. And I think that part of that was because he felt like he couldn't be honest with himself about what happened with Aunt Helen because she took that power away from him, even if he hadn't like consciously remembered it. So like him not being able to advocate for himself all stemmed from that trauma. Like he essentially was dealing with like PTSD this whole time and just had blocked it out. Correct. And I think that he's been how he overthinks everything and is constantly observing is because subconsciously I think that he could have just been thinking about how his aunt Helen was molested and you know that's part of why she probably molested him and how there's so many things in the world that are out of your control that can affect what kind of person you are but I'm glad that in the end he does come to the conclusion that you know even with that fact that 
there's all these like environmental things that can shape you, you as an individual choose who you are and who you become because we are creatures of free will. And even if bad things happen to you, doesn't mean that you have to do bad things. Yes. So I do think like, obviously it had like that great final message. And one more thing about as far as being sad and beautiful, because I did want to talk about that since you kept saying that. I think it was very interesting how people told you that it was sad and beautiful and you thought that like the shoe was going to drop, like he was going to die or something. But I think it's the idea of, I mean, I feel like if you look back on the book, it was really sad. Like Charlie as a 16 year old has experienced a lot more than even you, you and I have like, he had a good friend commit suicide. He's been molested. He's witnessed rape. Yeah. He like, he's gone through a lot already at only 16 years old at this fictional character. So I think that is why it's, sad but even though it's sad and he's been through so much and he's dealt with this trauma it's still beautiful because he's still able to participate in life and find the good things and be infinite in the present moment so i really enjoy the book but what what about you yeah i mean i agree i think that it's it yes the shoe drop is all the things that he's dealt with we just didn't you know it wasn't it's just not what you were expecting. One cataclysmic event, yes. And I think that for me, I agree. I like that he comes to the conclusion that, like, n- no matter all the other factors, like, we do make our own decisions of how we're going to be. Like, that is something that's still within our control. And because I didn't, I'm glad that he gets there because earlier on when he's musing in that final letter, he basically says he doesn't blame Aunt Helen because if he blames Aunt Helen, then he needs to blame her father for abusing her. And then he needs to blame whoever abused his great-grandfather for, you know, like basically he's absolving her, which I don't think is really okay. I don't think that he should absolve her of I think it's a little bit of a child perspective, a childish perspective. I agree. I think it's because he is a child and he loves her and she's dead. And so therefore he's like- She's dead is also a big, yeah, aspect- he doesn't, and he says that he's like, I feel this way because she's dead, and I like. There's no point in like actively hating her, which I think is a good, again, astute point. I don't think that like we should let people off the hook for bad behavior, even if they are subjects of trauma. I don't think it's necessarily letting her off the hook. I think it's the idea of forgiving her. He's not going to bury active resentment. Because even for people, if your abuser was still alive, I think I don't think you can truly move on from what happened to you until you learn to forgive them. Whether that's not saying that like those people shouldn't be punished, like they shouldn't be in jail or something, but I think, I mean, I obviously personally haven't gone through any trauma like that, but from what I've witnessed and what I've seen, I would think that for you to really fully like heal, I think at some point you would have to forgive because you're never going to forget what happened. You're never going to forget. It's going to live with you forever. So I think at some point you have to learn to not only forgive them, but forgive yourself because a lot of people, especially with sexual abuse, you blame yourself because you feel like you should have done something. So I think like all of that is what he is striving for. Maybe (laughs) again, he is only 16. So I do think he could just be absolving her because I mean, she is dead and he did love her. And yes, it's very yeah. hard to hate someone who's not even there anymore, who doesn't exist anymore. But I do think that ultimately 
I would think that, yeah, you'd, you would eventually have to come to some sort of forgiveness to grow. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I just, I would hate to feel like he feels like it's not, like it doesn't matter. But I, I don't, don't think, think that, he's yeah. saying that. I, I, I don't want to say that I don't think he's saying that, but I'm just saying that, like, I do want to acknowledge that it is a a childish or naive or younger, a juvenile perspective to be like, well, I'm just not like, I'm not going to bear her that because I, because I can, because I think that like, you know, he's, I, again, it's, it's just I, as an adult. And if she was alive, he would have more complex yeah, feelings about it because you'd be dealing with them constantly. Whereas because, He's a child, she's a relative, and she's not there. He's able to, like, really focus on the best parts of their relationship. Because if himself. anything, yeah, because she is dead, he can also focus on for the forgiveness more of himself of, like, that happening to him. Because he doesn't have – he doesn't have to – he really doesn't have to forgive her because she doesn't exist anymore. And he never has to think about her again if he doesn't want to. But, yeah, so I do – yeah. I agree. I, I totally see where you're coming from, but I do think, yeah, it is. He's 16 years old, so he has a little bit of, like, that, like, really positive outlook on it, whereas, and also he's able to come to that realization very quickly after remembering what happened. I mean, obviously, this did happen with his kid, but he's able to have this, like, he's in his therapy, whatever, for a couple months, like, he's able to come to that conclusion very quickly, whereas I'm sure... Other people who've experienced it could make them much longer, but their abuser could still be alive, still be a part of their lives, or still just somebody they have to, like, hear about, have, conver- like, talk about, like, not necessarily interact with, but... So, I totally understand that. Absolutely. But... Well, I enjoyed it, though. Like, my final impression is that I really did enjoy it. I think it's great. I think teenagers should read it. I think young adults should read it. I think rereading it has value because we talk about all those points and patterns that Asia brought up that I think would make it rich to read it as a teenager and read it as a reread it as somewhat like a mature, more mature reader and recognizing things. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did finally read it because I'd never read it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it was sad, but beautiful. I'm sorry. That's just like my favorite thing now to describe the book. But yeah, same here. Like I said, this is definitely my favorite young adult book. And I think everyone should, I think definitely teens should read it. I think it's a great young adult book. And for anybody who did read it as a teen, I highly recommend rereading it as an adult because even though it is like a young adult teen book about teenagers, it does deal with a lot of... You'll blaze through it in three days. Yeah, you'll read through it quickly. And it deals with a lot of serious adult topics that might go over might have gone over your head the first time depending on when you read it so that's why i would recommend it at least in giving it a reread once you're older but i definitely love it for the nostalgia and i also just think it's a really well-written book i think it's different i think it's good and i do think it's moving i think it can I think a lot of people can relate to it in different ways, whether it's you personally or you know somebody who went through something similar. I just think it's really good. But maybe I'm a little biased. Like I said, one of my favorite books. But I think with that, we are done with the perks of being a wallflower. So what's your SAT word? I forgot. Epistolary. Epistolary.
Is that right? E-P-I-S-T-O-L-A-R-Y, epistolary. Novel written in letters. That. Very nice. Good job, Charles. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yay. I learned things in high school that I still remember. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Next week, we will be covering an entire new book, which will be The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. So get ready for some tears because that one is a lot. That one, I guess, could also maybe just be described as sad but beautiful, but we'll see. <laughs> So we'll see when we get there. I haven't read it yet. Yes. And this will be another reread for me. Charles will be reading for the first time and Charles hasn't seen the movie anything. So he has no spoilers, which is so amazing because, again, I can't wait to get his raw first opinion. Like, oh, I'm so excited. I feel like I should get an award for how much I was able to avoid pop culture growing up. Yeah, apparently. I've not seen any of the movies. I mean, the same thing for mate for Divergent, like. I was able to avoid that completely. I mean, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, unless you were, um, unless, like, you saw the movie. Like, I was, like, obviously, if you didn't read the book, but, like, I was just, like, I when I asked you, I've asked Charles, you know, if you saw the movie, obviously, like, the story spoiled. So it's a good thing you haven't because then the story isn't spoiled. Because just these books, like, just, like, with Perks of Being a Wallflower, like, the ending, like, if you would have seen the movie, you would have known what happened. So obviously it's going to be different even if you've never read the book. So I'm glad yeah. that we're, again, how we love on the podcast, getting the two, like, viewpoints of me fully rereading it, you fully reading it for the first time. So I just think it's a nice perspective. So we'll be getting that for next week with The Fault in Our Stars. We'll be reading the whole book if you're going to read along with us. And then for the week after that, we are going to be reading Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. Yeah, we like to give you those two weeks advance notice. And since we're covering a book a week, you got two homework assignments from us. If you want to unpack any of this content, I know some of it's been heavy, or you have predictions, you want to talk about the books, remember you can just stay in touch with us as you always can on the NerdPartyNet website, nerdparty.com slash contact, throw back paperback, it'll send us an email, get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at JoinNerdParty, Facebook.com slash NerdParty, Instagram at the NerdParty, and I can be found personally on Instagram at Seashells, and on Twitter, not really, at C.E. Sheeland. And I'm at Asia Bonia on Twitter and TikTok and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. But as always, make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss us next week. Yep. Have a good one. Hit that subscribe button and we will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.